Welcome to Mostly Books Meets. We're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life, and we hope you'll join us for the journey. In the podcast this week, I'm speaking to children's author Emma Norrie. Emma is a rising star as a writer with a particular interest in exploring difficult issues and complex characters in a realistic, contemporary and accessible style. Emma, who writes under the names E.L. Norrie and M. Norrie, wrote two short stories as part of the Homecoming anthology in celebration of VE Day. She's also written for Penguin's Extraordinary Lives series, chronicling the life of Nelson Mandela and footballer Lionel Messi. Emma's first middle grade fiction title, Amber Undercover, was published in April this year. And more recently, she's created a Choose Your Own Adventure story, which was included in Happy Here, a book containing 10 stories from black authors and illustrators. Happy Here was published in August this year. Emma, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you on. And I'm really excited about chatting to you today. The book that you have contributed to is absolutely lovely, but we'll come back to that later on. As I do with all my guests, I'd like to start off by going back to your childhood. You were born in Wales and were raised in a children's home. It sounds like you had quite a difficult childhood moving in and out of care. What do you remember about your time as a child? I don't necessarily remember much, I don't think, before the age of about seven or eight. Like I have quite fractured memories and I'll have events that lately I've had to kind of double check like files, you know, if I remember something happening or remember a person or kind of gone back to ask people. Because I think some things were really difficult. So obviously I've kind of blocked them out. But lots of it was quite muddled because I was in so many different places. But I always remember that because I experienced going into care when I was about 18 months for the first time, it was all I knew, really. So although, you know, as an adult, I can kind of feel sorry for younger Emma, that was all I knew. And to me, it was just a massive sense of adventure. Like I was in a house that was quite a grand, stately home. That's how it looked like to me rather than the flat I'd come from. And there were loads of other children there to get on with or not get on with. Do you know what I mean? There's lots of running around, lots of noise, lots of activity. So, yeah, so I think I can kind of just remember always being around lots of people, lots of noise. And then from being seven and eight is when I kind of discovered reading. And I just then remember there always being books around or always being an interest in exploring books and libraries and talking to people about stories and kind of making up the imaginary games, that kind of thing. Like you say, imagine as a kid, if you're suddenly surrounded by all these other kids, that probably sounds like or feels like quite good fun. Yeah. It's interesting that like, you talk about the fact that you remember when you were seven or eight years old, that's when you discovered reading. Was there a particular book that you remember reading at that age or is it just the, the presence of books just appears as a memory at that point? I can remember getting given a book. I like, I don't remember. I can remember seeing the book, if that makes sense. I don't remember 
getting it. And it was from mm. my mum and one of her boyfriends or husbands at the time. So I was about seven or eight, I think. And she'd given it to me on like a visit. So I didn't live with her, but she brought this book along. And I've got a copy of it still. So I know that it was in 1982 because she'd written in it. And it was called Magic Windows. And it's like something from the Victorian era. Like, <laughs> it's this book where the stories are in a sort of circle and then you twist a tab and it gives you a different picture. Amazing. Gives you like a different option of it. But all the pictures are like Victorian pictures, like a snow scene with some <laughs> really kind of random, old fashioned, absolutely nothing to do with me, my life at all, like next to it. So I don't know where my mum would have got it from. But I do remember loving it and not so much the poems, but loving moving the images around that changed. So yes, and and the fact that I've still got it, I don't know how it managed to stay with me or stay on the journey of, you know, whether it was a put in storage or my mum had it. I don't remember how I got back hold of it. And then around the same sort of time, I think maybe for kids or for me anyway, that sort of age, seven, eight, nine, is that magical age, I think, where, I mean, I was reading independently, but if you do start reading and sort of getting into stories at that age, they're the ones that really stay with you that you'll remember. And the Michael Foreman book, The Illustrated Fairy Tales, absolutely blew my mind. Like, <laughs> And also, I remember when I had that book physically was when I was staying with my mum for a while, and it wasn't ideal. So, you know, my mum was a drug addict, and there was lots of neglect and being left alone, no food, no electricity for kind of days at a time, really. And I do remember using that book as a comfort and the pictures are so vivid. And I can remember just reading that over and over, almost learning them off by heart. So, yes, around that kind of age is those two books that I really remember the most, I think. It's lovely that when you were going through that as a child, you had those books to fall back on, to have as, like you say, your little comfort blanket. It speaks volumes about what books can do for anyone, but particularly for children, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's really important, I think. And I kind of, um, I remember once being asked about, you know, did I read to escape? And lots of children, you know, especially with fantasy and magic and all that kind of stuff. And I don't really remember reading to escape because that's all I'd grown up with. I kind of knew very much, you know, it wasn't like I'd left a really lovely home or, you know, any kind of home and then had to experience something terrible. I don't remember much that was terrible when I was tiny. And then I just experienced kind of chaotic bouncing around in different children's homes and foster homes. So I never went from somewhere great to somewhere terrible. I was just somewhere that I just thought that's how life was for everybody. Mm -hmm. So when I then got a little bit older, do you know what I mean? Kind of like nine, 10, 11, 12, and my reading really took over and that was all I did. That's all I wanted to do all the time. I do remember... And the books I was, you know, that will come on to that I loved, I do remember thinking, I'm just going to read to realise that other people have different lives to this. Do you know what I mean? So I never wanted to read about a hobbit. No. Just, do you know what I mean? I was a bit like, I can't make myself a hobbit. Yeah. Like, I did read Narnia and was quite enchanted with Narnia, but I knew practically that I was never going to find a different land at the wardrobe. So I had to read about Anne of Green Gables and think, oh my God, maybe one day someone will just... I used to walk to school singing, thinking that I would be discovered like Annie. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, but I can totally relate to that because I'm also in that camp. I definitely enjoy books that are based in some form of reality. I have read, obviously, fantasy books and science fiction because 
part of my job, but it's definitely not my genre of choice. And when you talk about Anne of Green Gables, that just takes me right back because that's my very happy place. I don't know how many times I read that series of books and I still have all my original copies sat on shelves in my living room right now. Oh, so wonderful. Did you ever watch the Megan Fellows TV adaptation? I loved her. I love her. Oh my God. <laughs> I think if you're of the generation or whatever, that that was so key to me and her and Diana's friendship. I was, I'm just looking for my Diana. Yeah. <laughs> Gilbert, I just know it all off my heart. She was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen, her and her red hair. And the whole series is just, it's had such a massive impact. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I agree totally. And in fact, there was a, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a recent version of Anna Green Gables on Netflix and with an E, yes. which I did watch. I also really enjoyed, but it was really funny because my boyfriend, who's never read any of the Anna Green Gables, I was like, watch Anne with an E with me, <laughs> thinking he would not want to watch it. And he got really into it. So it, it just goes to show that it can just yeah. appeal. But it is, I think it's timeless. And also, I'm such a child sometimes still, probably why I write for children. So I heard about it. And my first reaction was like, all my hackles went up. I'm like, you're messing with Anne. You can't be messing with Anne. (laughs) And Megan follows like, I'm just not going to watch it. You just won't get it right. You won't know what you're talking about. And then my daughter, so my daughter's, well, she's 12 now. So when it came out, she's like 10 and a half, 11. And she wanted to watch it. And I resisted for ages. I was like, yeah, you can watch it. But, you know, you need to see the real one, the proper one. Like, I was such a purist. (laughs) And then she was really poorly. And we watched it together. And I very begrudgingly... Do you know what I mean? Like the new Anne with an E kind of one <laughs> round. Yeah. And they did a great job with it and the kind of modern stuff as well. But the original. Yeah. I mean, I just think for some some of us, it's just held such a special place because it was just beautiful. So descriptive, so evocative. And I think that whole thing about an underdog, we just love someone who can triumph being themselves. Do you know what I mean? Whatever flaws. And yeah, it's fantastic. I loved it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's an absolute classic. And I'll try and make any child that comes into my shop to read it. <laughs> so they're like, we don't really want to read that. That's fine. But, <laughs> but Emily of New Moon, mm-hmm. which I discovered after Anne, but she's like the flip side of Anne. Because the way she describes things, it's all very purple, it's beautiful. So Emily of New Moon, those three books, I think I do prefer them to Anne of Green Gables. Oh, we still might be, we still might beating heart. <laughs> But I agree, excellent books, excellent books. But actually, interestingly, I haven't felt the need to bring those into my shop, which is weird because I also absolutely love those books as well. So maybe I should bring those. Maybe you just in. want to keep them to yourself. Maybe it's just yeah. like no one knows Emily. Do you know what I mean? Everyone knows Anne. Like Anne's like the Taylor Swift, isn't she? And Emily's like some <laughs> cool indie kid that we still kind of keep private and no one's heard of her. Like, she's still ours. She's all ours. Oh, God, I love the fact we're talking about them as if we know them. I love it. So clearly you read a lot as a child. I understand you went to boarding school. How old were you when you went to boarding school? Um, Yeah, so I went to boarding school when I was 12. Yeah, 1988, yeah. It's quite young. Yeah, I'd gone to a foster placement in Suffolk, which was a really lovely change from Cardiff, which is where I had been for the first 10 years of my life. But the foster placement broke down horribly. So... It was lovely in the respect that, well, you know, I was 10 and it was the 80s and there was no internet. And, you know, it was just lovely growing up in the countryside. I was going on sort of 10 mile bike rides on my own with just a book and a picnic Mm. and it was safe. There was no mobile. So from that point of view, being in the countryside for a couple of years was amazing. It was a really small village, but the foster placement broke down and it was decided that for me, the best option was to send me to boarding school. And then I would go back to the foster parents in the holidays. 
because rather than sending me back to Cardiff, which was seen as being too disruptive. But, you know, a little bit like the children's home, boarding school was a massive adventure. Mm. I always wanted to go to boarding school as a child, but I think I think it was quite a romantic notion, you know, but I always think, and that again came from books. I always thought it sounded like a lot of fun, but I don't know what the reality was like. Yeah. Which books did you read where boarding school, where you thought, hmm, that sounds awesome? Mallory Towers, St. Clair's, you know, all the Ina Blyton yeah. ones. Where yeah. It was just but they, like, she does make it. Yeah. But she does make it sound really fun, doesn't she? I think mm. I can't remember when I read some of those. Boarding school was great. I mean, it was great. It wasn't, it was an odd setup because it wasn't like a posh boarding school, if that makes sense. So what it was, is it was a day school and then there was a boarding house and the people who boarded, all their parents were in the forces. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a school holiday would come along and people would go back to Abu Dhabi and wherever. And there were day pupils as well, which was a nice mix. It stopped it being too insular. There were lots of hijinks and pranks and all that kind of stuff. I had a really great time there overall, I think. Yeah, I did I did really enjoy it. And did you stay there till the end of your schooling? Did you do your A levels there? No. So I did GCSEs there and then I was going back in the holidays to the foster parents and that just didn't work out. So the kind of social services, I was always under Cardiff Social Services because I was born in Wales. So they found me alternative foster parents who ended up being one of the ladies was teaching at the school. So she wasn't at the boarding school, but she was at the school and she taught business studies. And she was the lady who said she'd take me on as a foster kid when I was kind of 15, 16. So no, I didn't do A-levels there. After GCSEs, I went and did A-levels at an FE college because I kind of really wanted to be independent. And I, yeah, I was quite keen on kind of going to college. It sounded a lot more grown up than staying on at school. Yeah. So you did A-levels and then you went to London and you did a BA in film studies and then you went on and did an MA in screenwriting. So it sounds like you were going down the film route. Yes, although you're making it sound very organised, Sarah. And actually, it's all a lot more chaotic than that, right? So, you know, there's a lot of ways to get to where I've got to. So basically, I didn't go and do a BA because I actually messed up A-levels. So I had to retake them. So I did really well at English. I think I got a B. But I did really well at English. And then I failed the other two. I dropped out of philosophy, I think. I don't really think there's any such thing as failure. I really, really don't. I just think there's trying or not trying. But I followed a boyfriend to London. And then I was a bit like, oh, I don't just want to be someone's girlfriend. That's boring. So then I retook some A-levels. And that's where I did film. So I had my English. I retook communications because I enjoyed it, but I just hadn't been paying attention. And then I did film. And I only did film because I thought it'd be easy. That's really <laughs> bad, isn't it? You could totally say where my like 18, 19-year-old head was at. But film was amazing. And oh my God, the teacher was this tiny, really spiky. She was quite gorgeous and she was really abrasive. And I think she was really new to teaching. So looking at it with adult eyes, I think she was just really self-conscious and really nervous. Yeah, she must have been like really early 20s, I think. And she was really rebellious and a bit of a kind of like warped Robin Williams Dead Poet Society because I remember us all going to her house and watching Clockwork Orange. So she had a real thing about showing us all banned films, showing us The Shining in our first lesson of film A-level, which just traumatised us all. But what was great about that was because I had only just done it as a sort of, oh, it'll be easy, like how hard can it be watching a film for A-level? But actually, I loved it and it cemented my decision that I didn't want to do English at university. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'd been thinking, oh, it's really obvious. I wanted to be a writer since I was like 10. 
So I had been thinking, oh, English, English, but I don't really like taking poetry apart. Yeah. And then film, analysing film, did the opposite. It just enriched what I was watching when I understood about camera angles and, you know, narrative arc and all that kind of stuff. It made it loads better. So then I went to do film. Sorry, that was a long rambling no, answer to the... <laughs> But otherwise, it makes it sound like, oh, I did this, and I did this, and I knew exactly what I, you know what I mean? It was much more a kind of like, oh, well, try that because of that reason. And then it kind of worked out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's funny how things do have a tendency to work out, isn't it? And it's so interesting what you say about the English thing as well, because I knew people that I was living with, a girl that was studying English university, and she loved it. By the time she finished, she said she literally didn't read a book for, you know, two years afterwards for pleasure, because, yeah. you know, she'd had to read so many. I remember being in the house, though, and she was having to read, you know, multiple books a week, and that will put you off. So it was probably yeah. quite a good decision. What did you do at uni? I did maths at university. Did you? Oh, my God, I'm so yeah. I so not. But that's... How did you get to maths to where you are now then? <laughs> oh, God. So I would turn it around. I, I did something very different. I used to work in finance. I worked in the city for 12 years and... Um, okay. And then had a bit of a, an epiphany where I realised that I didn't like what I was doing and I didn't really feel like it was contributing to society. So I took some yeah. time out, worked out what I wanted to do. And because I'd, I'd actually really enjoyed English as well as a okay. child, but I chose not to do English at A level for the same reason you said you didn't do it at university. Ah. I just was a bit sick of writing the essays. It was the best grade I got at GCSE. Yeah. But I just didn't enjoy that pulling it apart, same as. So yeah, books were always part of my life, but I always kind of viewed them as something to do with my leisure pursuits rather than a potential career option. Oh no, that's fab. I love hearing when people have those sorts of epiphanies though. Don't you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because, you know, we do kind of grow up thinking we're good at something or we do have that split of, you know, pleasure, leisure, work, what will earn us a living, what's sensible, depending on your priorities. And it's so weird, isn't it? I have got some friend, I don't know, like what I do as a day job, it wouldn't be about how much I earned for me. It would have to tie in with I just wouldn't be able to be bored. And I was at a job that was slowly killing me for like 14 years. And then through the pandemic, realised I can't do this anymore. I need to do something else. So as long as we always get those moments where we suddenly go. <gasps> what was that? What were you doing? that wasn't? I was working at university, but I was an mm -hmm. admin. Oh, OK. So I'd done an MA at this university. And done all right. And then got a full-time job there. That did sort of support me through having two kids that I had very close together. But even though I was kind of saying, I'd like to do something else and I'd like to move out of admin into academia and I have an MA and I'd even like to just help out by reading essays or whatever, no one ever listened to me. And I was just the person that had to fill mm -hmm. in 15 forms to use a stapler. And just bit by bit, <laughs> my whole, my personality, I just died inside do you know what I mean because I was just in this tiny little box and it was all right you know for what it was it was okay paid and I love being on campus and when I did speak to students that was the bit of my job that I was the best at and enjoyed I helped students when they had to go and get a work placement so I was okay. working in the media department which was great so I would meet amazingly bright really interesting 19 20 21 year olds he would just look at me like, oh, you've been sat in the admin office. Who are you to give me advice about my CV? Which was fine. And they all wanted to write or direct. Or, and it was really interesting. That was the best part of my job. I used to sort of maybe speak to four or five students a day. But I was saying the same thing. I was literally telling them how to write a CV. And then there was no way out of that. There was never any growth. And I tried a few times and sort of mentioned maybe teaching or offering a few things. And I think I knew it was time to go when one of the many managers we had and I'd already been there about 12 years. He just got my name wrong in a meeting. 
and I was a bit oh, like, God. you know what? <laughs> maybe, um, yeah, maybe I should get out of here before I'm sixty. Yeah, it might be, it might be time to move on. And that, did you say that happened during the pandemic or before the pandemic? That you no, during yeah, I gave notice. Yeah, I left in January of this year. Oh my goodness! So okay, let's kind of take a bit of a step back. So you. You've got some books published and one of them came out this year and some others you've contributed to and a couple of them came out before that. So clearly you were writing whilst you were doing this job that quote unquote was slowly killing you inside. So how did you manage that? Were you juggling? I guess you were juggling that, but how did you do it? And did you always know that you wanted to make it as a writer or was it just a bit of a pipe dream that you were trying to follow? I did always want to be a writer. So I think when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, I was just reading voraciously everything. You know, age 11 is when I discovered Stephen King, his short stories, actually. I only read about two or three of his novels. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's when I discovered Stephen King and then did that. And then sort of 16, mid-20s kind of went down a nihilistic Brett Easton Ellis, Chuck Fight Club, all that kind of like, oh, the world's pointless, (laughs) with a bit of like French you know, Sartre thrown in, a few classics and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So I always knew that I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really know what that looked like, especially after I chose not to do Mm. English at uni. But around about 21, 22, I started writing short stories. Don't know why I chose short stories. I think because I was reading a lot of short stories because I used to get Mm -hmm. bored very quickly, or I do get bored very quickly, and just love the variety of different short stories. And have always really liked and do in films a kind of open ending where everything's not all wrapped up because that's life. Life isn't all wrapped up. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Never knew what that looked like. Never actually wanted to write novels. Like never thought about it. Wasn't bothered about it. Wrote throughout my 20s. And then early on in my 20s, I got really ill. I was diagnosed with bipolar and was hospitalized, which kind of put a scupper on any writing, any career for quite a while, actually. Yeah. Five, six years, I think I was out of action in terms of writing. And then it wasn't until my mid thirties that it sort of all came back. My kids are really little. So I didn't write then when they were really little either, because they're just little time suckers. <laughs> but yeah, 33, 34, I think is when I started writing short stories again. And it's like, I don't think it's ever too late to start. Whatever's in you creatively, it'll just store up and it'll all kind of come out. And then I think I had a couple of things published in tiny little magazines, not necessarily even literary magazines in my 20s, but I did get a few things put places. But in my 30s, I got placements in some short story competitions. Then I was kind of writing on weekends or writing the evening or writing around in work if it was really quiet. If I'm tap tapping away, you don't know what I'm tapping, do you? Like, bring it on. I mean, terrible, but whatever. You're not using me. I've offered my services to teach and you're not using me. So don't think that I can't get this job done in like an hour a day when I'm sat here for seven. Tap, 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 tap. Yeah, like terrible. <laughs> this office work can be really good for that. You know, a lot of the time I've thought I really wish I had a career. I wish I was like a doctor or a lawyer or doing something amazing and good. And then my friend said to me once, she said, stop trying to get a career. You've only ever wanted to be a writer why don't you use your downtime at work to, you know, write? So I was always I was always kind of balancing it like that. And then, yeah, so then I kind of, as I was approaching 40, I then thought, do you know what? I would like to challenge myself. And, you know, I didn't choose to run a marathon or whatever like some people do. I just thought maybe it's time to see if I could write something longer. 
I think this, the longest mm-hmm. story I'd written had been about 5,000 words. And I just couldn't ever get beyond that. Do you know what I mean? Because I was so used to the short story mm-hmm. form. I was kind of very efficient yeah. at it. And that was all I was reading still as well. But I had read some amazing novels. It's just the novels mm-hmm. that I really loved to read that really, really blew me away were few and far between. And I knew the limits of my own capabilities. And I knew that whatever I wrote was never going to touch those. So I kind yeah. of had thought mm, novels aren't really for me. So it was a sort of challenge before I turned 40. I was like, OK, let's see where this goes. The kids were really little. So I used to go to a cafe on a Saturday and Sunday for like three hours and just write. When you were writing those, was that you writing, still writing for adults? Or was it at that point you flipped to children's books? When did that change happen? The novel that I thought I was writing, I thought it was for adults. And that was okay. really, actually, yeah, great question. And that was really interesting. I never really think back over what I do. So yeah, at the time, that was for adults. And I knew the sort of story I wanted to tell. And then I had got a partial grant to go on an Arvon course. So yeah, so this is 2014. And I'd always, oh my God, Arvon courses are amazing, but they're extremely Mm. expensive. And, you know, I worked part time and quite broke, but they do give grants. So they gave me a partial grant and I went on my very first writing course where I met other proper writers. And I'd never been on anything like that before. And it was a week and I chose the location that was closest to me to keep costs down. So I went to Totley Barton in Devon. So the course was called Novel in Progress. And I was just blown away the whole week. You know, everyone was so educated and so posh and so knowledgeable and I just was basking it like oh my god it's amazing I can learn from I felt really intimidated Mm -hmm. but that's never really been especially the older I've got that's never really stopped me from saying anything so yeah and that was just incredible Mm -hmm. and then coming back from that I then read over what I'd written and I was like oh fidget these aren't adults do you know what I mean I was like Okay, I think I'd written like 50,000 words at this point. And I was like, ah, okay, they're not adults because they have to be somewhere where they don't have a choice about where they are. So then I was like, I've got my care setting. So before that, the story, which hasn't seen the light today, but the story was set in like group therapy session. And there were loads of problems with it, as are with lots of books. But there were loads of problems with it, like why one of them just didn't walk away. So then I was like, oh, okay, so where could you be? And they're 17, 18 they don't have a choice about where they are. And then it kind of really took off, as in for, for writing it. It's just really interesting to hear because you, there's no way you could have planned that, could you? And there's been a whole bunch of situations that have happened over the course of your career that have, yeah. that have ended up you in this place. That's the thing as well, though, Sarah, right? Is that so in my day, there wasn't YA as a category. No. Do you know what no. I mean? There wasn't middle grade as a category. You just read what was there. So, you know, we read... Anne of Green Gables, but we also read Brave New World and Holden Caulfield, do you know what I mean? All that kind of age. So when I realised it was YA, or that, that the characters more to the point were 17, 18, doesn't necessarily make it YA, but I then thought, oh, I better start reading this new <laughs> this new genre that I've never heard of, this new category. So I started reading some YA that was around at the time, which was brilliant because I'd always been a bit snotty about certain genres before with no reason to be. But I'm always open-minded. So I sort of started reading a few books and going, oh, my God, awesome. It's not what I maybe had thought. So that's how the sort of 
for children thing happened or for young you know for young people yeah YA fiction I totally agree I always talk about that the fact that it didn't exist when I was younger but um it's one of my favorite genres I mean I'm not, I actually don't know as much about it as I've got a colleague at Mostly Books who what she doesn't know about YA fiction literally just isn't worth knowing so I use her as a major information source but oh, there are quite a few that I've read that I just think are fantastic so who do you like, just out of interest, if you not to put you on the spot? I mean, there's one that I was that surprised me called uh, Places I Cried in Public. Oh, Holly Bourne. Yeah, which I feel like it's a book that every young person, every young woman particularly, should read. Because okay. I think it's, it introduces a bunch of concepts that they should be aware of yes. when they're growing up. It's so a I fantastic think that's fantastic. title. Um, it? It's an amazing title. I love that title. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And then there's a whole bunch of others that we like in terms of in the shop, you know, like the um, the Good Girl's Guide to Murder, those kind of things do really okay. well for us, that kind of thing. So, so, so let's come back to this my two games. We've gone on a bit of a tangent. So these days you live in Bournemouth, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And you are writing, but you're also still working, you're working part time now, is that correct, at an FE college? Yeah, so I'm working three days in an FE college with autistic teens and some severe learning difficulties uh, as a sort of TA. They don't call us TAs anymore, but that's essentially what I am. So I'm more hands on. The whole pandemic was a little bit like I need to help practically. I want to help people practically. Yeah, part time balancing that with writing. And let's talk about your writing now, because um, I mentioned in the introduction that you had a middle grade bit fiction book, Amber Undercover, that came out early this year, which we have a youth ambassador program that we have at our shop, which basically where, is where young people are given pre-publication copies or recent copies of new books and um, they're asked to review them. And I have two reviews here from two of our youth ambassadors who both really, really, really enjoyed your book. So I have to say from the words of the readers, it was highly recommended. So that was that was nice to see when I was kind of doing my research into you. It would have been super awkward, wouldn't it, if they were like, oh, my God, this is the worst book we've ever read. Like, this is appalling. Like, it's not even worth it. It's toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) I I may I may just not have mentioned it. (laughs) No, no, that's really that's lovely. That's really lovely to hear. It is really lovely when you hear from the kids that have read, you know what I mean, read your work. It means masses. It's brilliant. The quote here, if you like action and detective books such as the Murder Based on Ladylike series, then you'll like this book because it really excited and astonished me. The story packed full of disguises, electronics, friendships and enemies. I'd give this book five stars out of five. It's fabulous. <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, but let's talk about your new book because that's ultimately what we're here to chat about today. So Happy Here is, a, it's not your book, you contributed to the book. So it's 10 stories from black authors and illustrators. It's been published by Knights Of, which is a fabulous publication house, which is, it's a fairly new publisher that do amazing work in terms of focusing on diversity and making sure that maybe areas of publishing that are less representative are being more represented. So tell me how you got involved in in this book. Yeah, so that was such a pleasure to be asked. So my very first book was actually a commission of part of the Voices series, like historical Mm -hmm. middle grade. So that was set in Victorian times, Son of the Circus. And then I did Amber Undercover, sort of contemporary. And then, yeah, so Knights of asked my agent and then my agent asked me, if that makes sense. So the idea was put to my agent, this is what we're doing from Nights Of. Would Emma like to consider being part of an anthology? 
And I just was so thrilled to be asked because, you know, I've seen Nights Of. They are getting really well known for giving diverse voices opportunity. And so they sent over a brief. And I just love that whole idea of working collaboratively. Like, I know I'm not working with the other writers, but I just love being part of something. That's what I love about film and TV writing and that kind of thing is you're not just, you know, some genius in a garret by yourself. Words <laughs> that are amazing. Listen to me. You know, and I also it was a really nice chance to get back to short stories and seeing if I could still kind of work that muscle. So they said in their brief, they said they wanted to celebrate Black Joy. And I was a bit like, okay, Black Joy, let me think about what my life was like at that age. And I was like, well, there wasn't a lot of joy there, actually. And I was kind of drawing on myself. And then I was thinking, but I do believe in Black Joy and celebration and having a fun time. And then I just thought, do you know what? I can maybe experiment with something I've never done before, something that I don't want to do as a full book, but something that I've always wanted to do. I've got this kind of list of things that I want to do, like, you know, I really want to do a verse novel. I really want to do, you know, all this different stuff that I kind of want to do. We've got these lists as writers, I think. Yeah. And they were just so brilliant to work for. Just brilliant. So they were like, yeah, you can try this. And even though we don't normally ask this, could you just send us maybe a sample of what you're thinking of? Because I wanted to do a choose your own adventure story which is quite a big undertaking from, you know, because it's the second person. So they were like, if we could just see a snippet. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh, my God, I gave myself such a headache. Like, I just didn't know what I was doing at all. It was hilarious. Anyway, yeah, yeah, no, so I'm really pleased with it. And it was great fun. And they're lovely to work with. They were just so supportive and encouraging about just do what you want to do. And I thought the joy is in the fact that you don't really have choose your own adventures with black characters and also, it gave me a chance to try out different settings and different endings. And just, yeah, it was just really great fun to be a part of. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the book itself is wonderful because it does have, you know, different, obviously different styles because there's different contributors in. And therefore, it's a really lovely range of stories. But I was so thrilled when I realized yours was a choose your own adventure because we actually get asked about those quite a lot, choose your own adventure books, because there's a lot of people that, you know, like you and me that grew up and they did exist quite a lot more when we were growing up, but they just, they seem to have petered out quite a lot. They're starting to reappear, but it's definitely something I think a lot of us have quite a bit of nostalgia about the fact that they existed when we were children. Yeah. And so knowing that now these days as a bookseller, when I discover any that have the Tuesday adventure, like I grip onto them and I'm like, this will go, this will sell because people are constantly looking for them. So I think it's just a really lovely additional angle to the fact that the story is, is existing and happy here so without giving too much away because we obviously want people to read the story just a brief synopsis of what your story is I mean obviously it goes in multiple directions yeah it's, honestly it's hilarious trying to like pitch this story like people are like tell me about your story I'm like oh, I can't really it's just like a few endings the choice of that whole thing even to do that was because I was talking to my kids and because I would still like to do a choose your own adventure YA because oh, you don't goodness, get yes. much choice at that age, which is why they're so appealing. But then they did become formulaic, didn't they? So the story is basically <laughs> imagining that you, obviously because it's you, you arriving at a new school and it's your first day and it's a bit of a weird atmosphere and you've got a really stiff blazer on and there's all these kind of rules and you don't really know what to expect. And then it seems like things are too good to be true because you get like computer gaming lessons, which is quite crazy. So it starts off like that. And then you have to decide, do you speak up about something that you've just seen if someone disrupts a classroom and they're being a bit weird? Or do you choose to speak to that person? 
And yeah, you make the choices. I don't know how else to say it, really. Great. That's what we need to just say. What I love about it is I love right at the beginning is that kind of almost like the contradiction because you get there and you're told, you know, you have to put your phone away. That's the rule because this is the rule. And then like you say, then suddenly you're in the classroom and it's like, oh, hang out and play on the PlayStation. And it's just like, ah, what's going on? I don't understand what school this is. But it is, it's really good. It's really clever. I've really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, I've read like a version of it, but then you can go back and read it again and do something different, <laughs> which is fantastic. So just kind of taking a step back now. So being a bookseller, I have a theory that everybody that reads or writes has a book that has had an impact on them, quite a significant one that could be professionally, it could be personally. Do you have a book like that? And if so, what is it? Yes and no. It's kind of hard to describe, isn't it? So I would say a novel and then a collection of short stories. So I would say it's so weird, isn't it? Especially in this day and age now. But 20 years ago, I didn't see myself reflected in books. So I didn't see a mixed race girl who was Jewish, who was brought up in care. So yeah, a lot of the things I was reading and I had no one else, you know, I had no mum or family to say, this is good to read. I didn't do English at uni. I had no one recommending me stuff. I didn't have lists of things. And I just read a lot of old white men or, you know, American. I was kind of quite American influenced, I guess. Mm -hmm. So the short stories that really affected me were Raymond Carver. I discovered Raymond Carver when I was about in my early 20s. And he absolutely blew me away. In terms of understated, things were understated. I always thought I can't ever be a writer because I don't write 15 pages of description. I always knew that characters and voices, I could literally hear those things, mm -hmm. which is why I then did an MA in screenwriting, like characters and voices are so easy to me, but I couldn't describe things I couldn't get from A to B. And yeah, he was just incredible. I just thought, and very domestic situations, mm -hmm. you know, people that were unhappy and dissatisfied and even that whole kind of Americana vibe. I really liked that whole Edward Hopper feeling that kind of imbued his work and then went on to read lots of other amazing short story writers but that really opened my eyes to what could be done and what could be written about it didn't have to be a hobbit and adventures it could be just be four people sat around a dinner table talking about what they think love is and just having a conversation mm -hmm. but then the novel that really blew me away as in the second I finished the last line I just started it again was the secret history <laughs> yeah I think it was too intelligent for me like I don't think I grasp every, do you know what I mean it wasn't incomprehensible but I think it was more like a feeling that washed over me you know I can remember Bunny and what happens and the way it opens straight away with a confession but I just remember an impression like sometimes novels that have really affected me if you ask me you know everything about the plot that isn't what I remember, which is why probably I no. used to read genre. I used to lean towards kind of literary or literary light, as I call it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm in the hands of someone who is so intelligent. And it's just beautiful. Everything is beautiful on every single page, the language, whatever. It kind of wasn't massively emotional. But in terms of admiring it and being like, oh, my God, what can actually be done? Yeah, the second I finished the last line, I was like, I need to read it again. It needs to go in again. And I remember because I was in some horrible, horrible squat in London. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was just retaking A-levels. And it was just this whole oh world. Yeah, it was really grim circumstances. <laughs> but, yeah, and it was just incredible. It was That's just wonderful. Um, <laughs> it was all right. I'd followed a boyfriend there. It was all right. It was oh, all <laughs> in Streatham was it in Streatham oh it was just no it was, it was Stockwell it was horrible but yeah it was a great book <laughs> so That's what about you though because I can't just talk about that without hearing 
Do you know, someone's already asked me this on this podcast, so it will be a bit of a repetition, but there's one that had an impact on me in terms of my career, I guess, which was when I'd already quit my job and then I traveled for a year. Oh, yeah, I just nice. storage and just went away. And then I came back and I, during my travels, I'd come to the conclusion I'd quite like to run my own business and to be a bookshop. And But I, I had massive imposter syndrome about whether or not I could do it. Yep. And my mum gave me this book, which I can't remember the name of it. So it's a terrible recommendation, but it was the story of the two people, I think they were brother and sister, that created Coffee Republic. Okay. You know, that coffee chain. So yeah. it's a non-fiction book. And I read a lot of fiction. I do read some non-fiction, but it's, it's interesting that the non-fiction was the one that had such an impact. And although, obviously, I'm not comparing my two shops to the coffee chain that <laughs> became Coffee Republic, not quite the same. But it was really inspiring to make you think, oh, actually, time. Yeah. Just give me every time. <laughs> yeah, it was good to read that they kind of started out not really knowing what they were doing and made lots of mistakes. And, you know, it just made me think, oh, okay, well... I could probably do something like that, and then yeah. I did. I once read a non-fiction with a guy called Poe Bronson, and it was something like, what could I do with my life, or what should I do with my life, or something. And I read it way before I needed to read it, like I was 20-something. But it was all stories of people exactly like that. You might want to check it out. And it's, what should I do with my life, or what could I do with my life? And it's so inspirational. And it is just stories of people who've given up a career in finance and gone to live in the mountains and milk goats or you know but it's full of those stories and I remember reading it like way before I kind of needed to but it was really like oh you don't have to be stuck there are just so many other ways of kind of being it was a really really great book I think it, it does help because I think when you're in that situation like you were and like I was when you're in a job that you're not really getting a lot out of and but you do become very institutionalized don't you you feel oh, like yeah. there's no option I could not imagine not being in an office job in fact I was speaking to, I was working with somebody about who was trying to help me work through it all and she asked me what my ideal job would be and I described my exact same job but in an office that had beanbags seriously <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, that, yeah oh oh bless well it is that thing, <laughs> it's, it's thinking of something so completely like it's Different. really brave what you've done do you know what I mean like have you written about the process of it yourself like a blog or a well I blogged when I traveled when I was going through the decision making process but quite a few people have asked me whether I would write the story because it is quite an interesting story, you know, the decision-making and how yeah, it all I think it's massive. And I think people that you just, there's nothing to lose. It's just inspirational hearing other people do it. And especially out of interest for yours would be something, doing something so different because so often it's like, you know, oh, I was a teacher and then I became a writer. Like, yeah, so did 90% of people. Not like I did maths at university and then I became a bookseller. Like, that's your USP, Sarah. Do you know what I mean? It's like both my parents were actors and then I went into acting. Really? Like, how about, you know? <laughs> how about you do something completely different? Yeah, yeah. yeah I have thought about it. I'm always in awe of people like you that can come out with creative ideas. I'm not creative at all. So if you can just pluck an idea from your head and put it in paper, I know it's not that straightforward yeah. but I do think it's admirable whereas I can put pen to paper when it's something that's based in reality so non-fiction maybe maybe watch this space. yeah 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 right I'm just aware of time so I just yeah, wanted sorry. to ask you <laughs> no it's fine I mean obviously this book Happy Here is out now it's beautiful I love the sprayed edges that it's got but what else are you doing what are you working on at the moment have you got plans for the rest of the year got plans for next year Yes, I am working on loads of things at the moment, which is great. I'm really busy. I'm loving it. 
and publishing's all a bit hush hush. Like you have to keep secrets for like two years, and I'm terrible because I'm just like an open book, and I always feel a bit deceptive. It's just annoying. So I probably can say, hmm, I don't know what I can say. Okay, so a nonfiction will be out next year. Okay, and also. Yeah, I don't know what I can say. You're working on some stuff. Yeah, I work on some stuff. I work on a non-fiction. I'm working on a fiction. The fiction for Scholastic is basically something similar to what I did before, as in using real life, but narrative, kind of historical. And then the fantasy series, the very, very exciting fantasy series that got a two-book deal with Bloomsbury, who I just can't wait to work with. They're just already amazing. The way they just treat their authors is like a family. It's incredible. And that's like a collaboration. So a lady called Jasmine Richards, who is a powerhouse, and she runs a company called Story Mix. She Mm -hmm. approached me with this outline of an idea, saying she kind of wanted to do this certain idea, and she really, really wanted me to do it. So, yeah, so that's the book. It's a bit of a collaboration and it's really exciting. Excellent. Loads to keep you busy. Well, I wish you all the luck with everything you're working on. And thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. And I hope that at some point we'll be able to meet in person. Yes, thank you for having me. And I I am a bit of a waffler, but it's been really lovely to speak to you too. And I hope I get to meet you in person. And yeah, if you, you know, know my email is, so say hello. If you want anyone to look over that draft of your uh, non-fiction. <laughs> Noted. Thanks again. All of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Mostly Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.